everybody and welcome to throwing stones i am ryan griffin no co-host today so you got me here solo dolo but we got a ton of stuff to get to the nba is going absolutely nutty these last week and a half two weeks whatever it is with guys wanting out guys actually getting traded some low-key and high-key free agent signings so we're gonna get into it all really but before we do that, make sure you guys are subscribing to our YouTube channel right here if you're watching it on YouTube. And then make sure that you are also following us on all of our social media platforms. That's Facebook, Detroit Sports Nation, Twitter, DET Sports Nation, as well as Stones DSN. That is this specific show, Twitter, where you can, if you like the show, you're going to get more content just like it. And, of course, like the videos, comment on the videos, share them with your friends, all of that fun stuff. So the first topic we have tonight is, of course, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the Brooklyn Nets drama that's going on. It started with Kyrie Irving. So, yeah, just give it a timeline, right? It started with Kyrie Irving saying, essentially, I'm not sure if I'm going to opt in. I want a long-term contract. And his leverage to that was if the Nets weren't going to give him a long-term contract, then you guys might lose Kevin Durant as well. You're not just going to lose me. You're going to lose KD. And then Kyrie opts in. So you start thinking like, oh, okay, it might all be, it might all be all right. A day after Kyrie opts in, two days, like whatever it is, maybe a little bit later, Kevin Durant requests a trade. Now Kevin Durant wants out of Brooklyn and it sets the entire NBA world on fire. More than half the teams are calling the Nets want two all-star level players and a bunch of future picks king's ransom for kd which makes all the sense in the world and of course if they trade kd you have to assume that they're going to trade kyrie irving as well because there's no then i don't think the nuts want anything to do with kyrie irving i think they would love to keep kevin durant but they don't want anything to do with kyrie irving and the headache that he's given them and even the Nets owner, man, I don't think he said this on record, but it was a report that Joe Sy would essentially to have a team that he's quote unquote proud of and gets 40 or 45 wins. They just compete really hard as opposed to a team with the superstars, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, that, is, that are going to more or less take over the team and try and run it like we've seen other NBA superstars do with their franchises. And it seems like Josiah is just not about that at all. And we'll get to that in a minute. But a report came out today where the Nets, they're pretty content with having Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving back on the team. They're actually like the report, I think it was from Woj, said the Nets are operating as if Durant and Irving are going to be on the roster on opening day, which is what I thought made the most sense in the world from Jump Street. We did a show maybe two weeks ago, and I was saying, hey, just run it back. Run the net situation back. I know it was an abject disaster last year, no doubt about it. You had Kyrie Irving miss all the games because of the vaccine mandates. James Harden was not playing, and then he was playing, and when he was playing, he wasn't playing very hard. He wanted to get the hell out of Brooklyn. You bring in Ben Simmons, who doesn't play at all, and then they get to the playoffs. 
and get unceremoniously swept by the Boston Celtics. I understand all that. Horrible laughing stock. All the jokes running. NBA, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you can see them. But there's still a situation with the Brooklyn Nets where they're the best team in the Eastern Conference. Like, I know Kevin Durant wanted to get traded, and the trade destinations that were listed were Phoenix Suns and Miami Heat. If you keep this net situation together, that's a better situation to win than either Phoenix or Miami. So instead of Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons, you're going to go hit your wagon to a 37-year-old Chris Paul and a Devin Booker who might not be all that excited about you taking some shots away from them, right? Like with Devin Booker and Chris Paul and even DeAndre Ayton, it's cool because Devin Booker still gets to take the most amount of shots. You know, Chris Paul's way more likely to feed Devin Booker than he is to shoot the ball himself. And now you add Kevin Durant to that mix, and I think Devin Booker's a great player, and obviously they've made the finals, they've won a round in the playoffs last year and made it to the second round. There's no guarantee in my mind that Devin Booker would be okay playing second fiddle to Kevin Durant. Like, I think Devin Booker wants to be that guy. I think Devin Booker has that Kobe mentality in him where he wants to be the man no matter what. He would, I think he would rather lose in the NBA Finals or like the Western Conference Finals being the man than he would being like the second banana on a championship team. This is my opinion. Obviously, I don't know, but it just seems like Booker has that Mamba mentality in him, if you will. And back to Brooklyn with next year, if you're going to look at it with rose-colored glasses or Coogee-colored glasses in, in honor of the the Biggie Smalls Brooklyn Nets jerseys. No mandates. I assume mandates are going to be in effect next year when the NBA season starts, which means Kyrie Irving should be able to play in at least, what, 41 more basketball games than he was able to last year. That's providing help, the health that's provided that nothing else weird with Kyrie comes up when he just says, nah, I don't want to play, which might very well happen. But the mandate shouldn't be an issue, so Kyrie should be available for a bunch more games, right? Ben Simmons is going to have basically two years of getting healthy. He should be able to start the regular season healthy and then play the entire way, which is going to help the Nets tremendously on defense, and it's going to help their offense as well because you can get all the jokes off about Ben Simmons that you want. But Ben Simmons as a number three offensive option, a guy who, while he's not going to shoot the ball, he can obviously distribute the ball, and he can drive to the basket anytime he wants. He might be a little scared of getting fouled, which is true, but all the attention is going to be on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving anyway, which is going to make Ben Simmons' job and his responsibilities on offense like way lesser, and I think he's just going to be in a more comfortable role than he ever was with Philadelphia. And then you have improved depth, right? The Nets have made some sneaky off signings. We're going to get to some other teams who have snuck around in the offseason and added to their team. The Nets have had a pretty – they haven't had a quiet offseason because of the Kyrie and Kevin Durant drama, but the moves that they made in the offseason have been quiet, if that makes any sense. So they re-signed Patty Mills. They traded for Royce O'Neal, who's a 3-and-D wink, and then they just picked up T.J. Warren who would be a really good scoring option off the bench. So if you're looking at the Nets' top 10 players, you got Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Nick Claxton, and then their bench is Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Royce O'Neal, Cam Thomas, and TJ Warren. 
That's that's a really solid 10-man lineup. And I know the defense is still going to be an issue, but you are adding Ben Simmons back. I think Durant will be better as a like a help defender if Ben Simmons can make cause problems on the perimeter and KD can just help and use his length to alter shots, to block shots, to get in those different passes. And Royce O'Neal's a good defender as well coming off the bench. Now they'd still need help on that end, but I think you'd see a much better Brooklyn defense this year if all the guys were to actually play basketball than you did last year. One thing that the Nets really need to do and where it seems like all this has stemmed from is their relationships with the front office. And there was another report, again, probably about a week ago, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving would actually not be opposed to playing with each other still. They just didn't want to do it in Brooklyn. So what that tells me, and I think that's what tells everybody, unless that's a lie, unless Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are budding heads, is that their problem doesn't stem with each other. Right. It's not Kevin Durant saying, oh, man, Kyrie, I trusted you. And then you went and you did all this vaccine stuff and then you weren't able to play in the games. And by the time we got you back for the playoffs, we weren't anywhere near ready. That's not what that report would suggest. What that report would suggest is that there's problems with the front office, whether it's Sean Marks, Joe, Joe Steve Nash, who's the coach for the Nets, that there's something broken there. And I think that's really easy to fix. And if I'm the Nets. I know Josiah, we talked about his comment, where it seems like he he would rather be in charge of a mediocre team than be the backseat on a winning team. I think you just need to check yourself at that point. Like Your job as the owner is to bring a product to the fans that is a winner, right? If you're an owner of a professional team, your job, your goal, your mission, whatever you want to call it, should be to win as many games as possible and bring that city that you own that team in a championship. The best way for the Nets to do that is to keep this core together and, you know, obviously mix in the offseason signings that the Nets have already had, which I've already thought have done a, that they've done a pretty good job of. Now, I think those are going to be all for naught if Kevin Durant does end up getting traded and Kyrie Irving ends up being on the move, then you're going to have probably a, a pretty bad team, right? Or a team that's maybe fighting for the play-in, playing 6 seventeen in the Eastern Conference, which they were last year. But as we talked about, that's because nobody was playing basketball for them. If all these guys had played even a respectable amount of games, the Nets would have been nowhere near the playing game. I don't know that's really arguable, but I guess if you just really hate the Nets that much, you'll probably think, no, they still would have been because of the defense and all these other problems that they had. If that's the opinion you want to have, fine, go for it. That's just It's just not one that I'm here for, and it's not one that I personally subscribe to. And back to, sorry, back to the front office. It, it seems like you just need to have a meeting, right, where everybody went in there and then they all hashed it out. Hey, here are our problems. Here's how we propose to fix it. And that's what it would have to be. Maybe the front office is really mad at Kyrie, which I could understand because he paid this guy to play in all these games. He didn't end up playing in the games. But I think you go in there and you say, this is what helps us win a championship. It is all of us together with... X, Y, and Z, 
right? And I think they've already done a good job of trying to fill in some of those ancillary pieces. And if they keep it together, I think the Nets can still be a really good basketball team next year. And if I am the front office, that's the pitch I would try to make to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving because I want those guys on my team because I am trying to, again, win basketball games. And in my opinion, that is the best way to do it. The best way to not win basketball games is to trade your entire future for Rudy Gobert. And that is exactly what the Timberwolves did in a trade that it's it makes less and less sense to me the more the days go on. It's not even just the players, right? Malik Beasley, Walker Kessler, Jared Vanderbilt, Patrick Beverly, and Leandro Balmero. Now, a couple of those guys were depth pieces. Jared Vanderbilt played a lot. Malik Beasley played a lot. Patrick Beverly played a lot. Walker Kessler, a rookie. You obviously don't know what you're going to get. And then Balmaro, I don't know that anybody is ever expecting anything out of him. So not only are you trading some role players that you're actually going to need if you want to make this like a top four team, which is the idea that the Timberwolves have when you get Rudy Gobert, because now you're looking at a starting five of like Anthony Edwards, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and who, I'm forgetting who else, so forgive me, but you're looking at having a, a quote-unquote big four, essentially. The problem is now you're not going to have any that. When you had, if you could have kept some of those players and only given up the picks, I guess the trade looks a little bit better because if one of those guys goes out or when they have foul trouble or even when the second unit comes in, you're still feeling pretty good about your team but not only did they give up their debt pieces they gave up unprotected first round picks in 2023 2025 2027 and then a top five protected first round pick in 2029 my biggest problem with this trade is that the timberwolves they made it too early you only get one swing at a trade like this you saw drew holiday Get, get traded for a whole bunch of stuff, went to the Bucks, got the Bucks a championship. You saw Anthony Davis get traded to the Pelicans. The Pelicans gave up a whole bunch. And then the Lakers, LeBron, Anthony Davis, they won a championship with him. So we've seen those trades work out fairly recently. The problem was what you were adding Anthony Davis to, what you were adding Drew Holiday to, was Yana, was LeBron James? And was Giannis Antetokounmpo. And as much as I think Anthony Edwards is a really good player, Anthony Edwards is not that yet. Anthony Edwards is not ready to be the lead guy on the championship team. He's a guy that's 20 years old. And I, Giannis was probably 24 or 25 when they brought in Drew to town. And Giannis was a guy who had already won, I think, two MVPs by that point. And LeBron James, we know when they brought Anthony Davis, already NBA champion, already MVP, like all of that. It makes all the sense in the world. Anthony Davis, again, man, he's not ready. If you wanted to make this trade, like with Anthony Davis in mind, because that's what you're thinking, right? You're like, we have Anthony Davis, we have Carl Anthony Towns, we want to add another piece. I respect that thinking. I would have waited until Anthony Davis, or I'm sorry, until Anthony Edwards had proven at least something in the playoffs, right? Maybe he had won a round. Maybe him and Towns had won a round in the playoffs. They'd won two rounds. They made an unexpected Western Conference Finals run and then 
got swept off their feet. Jokic did with the Nuggets, or even like Dame has done in Portland a couple times, where it bounces, they get some playoff success, and then you add a big piece. This is not the case with the Minnesota Timberwolves, and that's why I think it's a mistake, because you don't know if Anthony Edwards is that good yet. You think he is, but he's certainly not ready yet. So if I'm the Wolves, I would have waited until Ant was 23, 24 to make a trade like this. And then I would have used those first-round picks that you gave up to add to Carl Anthony Towns, to add to Anthony Edwards, and hope you hit on one of them, and then you have another solid role player. And then a guy becomes available. And it's not going to be Rudy Gobert in three years from now. You're not trading for 33-year-old Rudy Gobert. But... It would be another player of that caliber, another big star who's unhappy, who now you can bring in, and it's a much more attractive situation where you can say, hey, look, we have Anthony Edwards, who has the potential to be like a top five player in the NBA. He's not that yet. I don't think he's going to get there in the next one or two years, but maybe three, four, five years down the line, Anthony Edwards is ready to be right there. He's ready to ascend, be an MVP, be all these things that kind of justify and have the different like ingredients or have the resume of a guy that's usually the best player on an NBA championship, which is what you hope Anthony Edwards is going to be. And that's why you bring in a guy like Rudy Gobert and then make a move like that and mortgage your future because you want to get a title. You want to have like a four-year window where you can really win an NBA championship. And to me, the Timberwolves went and they swung way too early. You know, Rudy Gobert is 30 and he is under contract until 2026, and his contract numbers are very ugly. He makes $38 million this next year, $41 million in 2024, $44 million in 2025, and then $46.6 million in 2026. He has a player option after 2025 to opt into that $46.6 million, and at that point he's going to be, what, 35 years old? He's absolutely opting in. There's no... No scenario in the entire universe that Rudy Gobert walks away from essentially $50 million at age 35. And that's going to handicap you because you have, now you're not going to be able to make any of these moves that you need to make to get these guys together because I don't think a big three of Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert is going to be enough to win you a title. And Towns is already on a Supermax contract. He just signed one. So you have Towns under contract for six years at $283 million. And then Edwards' rookie extension, or rookie max extension that they're certainly going to give him, is due pretty soon. So now you're going to have these three guys who are taking up probably essentially all your cap space, right? If you look at the Lakers, it's pretty similar to what's happening with like Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and LeBron James. Not quite on that level because Anthony Edwards can't make as much as those guys, but it's pretty close to the situation and you have... And you're seeing the trouble that the Lakers are having of grabbing free agents. They can only offer these guys the mid-level exception or the vet minimum, and they don't. They just don't have any cap, flexi- cap flexibility because these three players all make so much. The problem with that is they're going to be modeled after this current old garbage Lakers team, and they're going to be doing it without the championship that the Lakers won. Because instead of having LeBron and Anthony Davis, you're going to be hitching your wagon to Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert. So you're not going to be able to sign anybody. 
because you're not going to have the money to throw around, and you're not going to be able to add talent through the draft. And these contracts, while I don't ever want to say a contract is untradeable because we've seen it, if I'll be shocked beyond belief if somebody trades for Rudy Gobert making $44 million in 2025, right? Because the the Wolves are still not going to have their picks to attach to somebody to say, hey, here are these picks. Please take on this horrible Rudy Gobert contract that we have because they just gave all their picks away, which is exactly what the Lakers did with Anthony Davis, which is why now the Lakers can't even offer you a first-round pick until 2027, which is why they're probably going to end up being stuck with Russell Westbrook. Or and you could always just buy him out, but then you're, you're eating that money anyway if the player doesn't want to take any less of a salary. So, in my opinion, the Wolves are going to be unbelievably handicapped by the Rudy Gobert trade that they just made, and it's not going to bear out anything. They have they have a nice-looking starting five. They don't have depth behind it. And is it a starting five that you still think is going to be, like, top five in the West? You know, you're going to have the Clippers. If they're fully healthy, the Clippers should be better. The Warriors should be better. I think the Grizzlies will probably be better. And then you're looking at all these other teams, right? The Blazers are still looking at making some moves. I think the Wolves will probably be a little bit better than the Blazers would be my guess. But the Nuggets are going to have Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray coming back. And they still have Jokic, obviously. We talked about the Phoenix Suns a little bit with the Kevin Durant trade. And while Chris Paul is super old right now, he probably still has a little bit of juice left in him. And Phoenix is a team that has the different role players. They're going to lose DeAndre Ayton. My guess is they're going to get something back for him. But if you're the Wolves, I don't know that this leaps you definitively above anybody in the Western Conference that you weren't already better than. You're probably better than Utah now because they gave up Rudy Gobert. And I don't know if they're giving up Donovan Mitchell or what have you, but you're probably going to be better than the Jazz who you were worse than last year. But is that it? Are you better than anybody else in the West that you weren't already better than? Does this make you a top four team in the West? I don't think so. And I really like Anthony Edwards and I really like Carl Anthony Towns. Not a big fan of Rudy Gobert. I just think it's way too early for the Wolves, man. I just think it's it's insanely early for them to make a move like this. I understand wanting to max out the time that you have with Anthony Edwards. In my opinion, you got to catch him in his prime. You don't catch him right now where he's on. And no, he's still ascending to get into his prime. And by the time he hits his prime, you're not going to be able to do anything with Rudy Gobert because he's going to be 33, 34, 35, making anywhere between 41 and like $47 million. And you're just not going to be able to to build a team around that. That's why I don't like this trade for the Wolves. Love it for the Jazz. You got the Wolves' entire future. And while for 2025, I don't think that pick is going to be high at all, right? Or 2023, because it was 23, 25, 27, and 29. For 2023 and 2025, you're probably looking at a team in the playoff pick. But then in 2027, no idea. By that time, Gobert's off the books. And honestly, even in 2025, the only year that the Wolves really have guaranteed, in my mind, is going to be 2023, that you're not looking at like a top 20 pick. Twenty Again, 2025, yeah, the Wolves are probably still going to be a pretty good team. But 27 and 29, the Wolves might bottom out. And by the time 29 comes around, I would honestly almost bet the Wolves are bottoming out to try and get in that top five so they can retain that pick.
So let's talk about some teams that I liked during the offseason, teams that I don't have a problem with what they did. The Boston Celtics. Now, me and my usual co-host, Matt Basson, were on when the Celtics and the Warriors were in the finals and after the finals, just talking about where the teams would be next year. I didn't. I thought the Celtics had a fluky run to the NBA Finals, and I didn't see them as a team that would be able to repeat that run. But, man, if they are not having one hell of an offseason and really positioning themselves to be a strong player in the East again. So the Celtics got Malcolm Brogdon. They got it for giving up essentially nobody. They, the two main guys that they gave up in that trade were Daniel Tice and Aaron Nismith. But they got Malcolm Brogdon. And they got Danilo Gallinari. They got both of those guys without giving up any of like their top seven players that they were playing. And it's a team who had depth is one of the reasons that they made the NBA Finals was because they were able to just have so many different guys step up at different points. And the knock on these moves is going to be that these are two guys who can't stay healthy, right? Malcolm Brogdon is a very good player. Danilo Gallinari is pretty good now. His best years are probably behind him, but he can still definitely give you something. But both have injury history, which makes sense. Malcolm Brogdon, though, and Danilo Gallinari, for that matter, they're guys that you really only need to be healthy for the playoffs. So because they're going to have lesser roles on the Celtics than they did on the Pacers, and then on the Hawks is where I believe Gallo came from, free agency on, on the Hawks last year. You know, they're going to be asked to do less, so it should just be less stress on their body overall. You should be able to get them more rest. And, again, you're going to need them for the playoffs. You're not necessarily worried about the regular season because you know with the rotation that you have, you're going to be in the playoffs. You're probably going to be in the playoffs pretty comfortably. But look at this top nine, and really we'll just do top ten because it's two lineups. So the Celtics, they're looking at a top ten, two rotations essentially, of Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams. That is a whole lot of defense. And with Malcolm Brogdon now, that is some much-needed offense that the starting lineup produced. Marcus Smart is streaky, and he can score it buckets one game, and then he can go 5-19 and 19 the next and absolutely kill you. And we already know what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can do. But Malcolm Brogdon is a guy who can come in and he can give you offense pretty much right away, which is something I thought the Celtics really lacked in the Golden State series was just another guy that can come in and create his own offense and score for them. I thought their offense got pretty stagnated at times. might have been what ended up costing them a title. But last year, it provided only 36 games, a lot of trouble staying healthy. But Brogdon averaged 19 points. And he's, he's typically a pretty good shooter. Didn't shoot it last year, but career 37, basically 38% three-point shooter. And that guy who's going to give you about 45, 46% from the field and anywhere between 85 and like 88% from the free throw line. So just a, a really solid offensive player. And he's also giving you five assists and five rebounds, essentially. Like a really good player that Boston just added. He can create for others. He can create for himself. And he can shoot it in every year except for basically last year, where, again, he was hurt a bunch of the year, and that's been the knock on him to staying healthy. And then Gallinari, again, a guy who can get a bucket. He's not going to be able to create for himself as much as 
Brogdon can, I think, but he can still create for himself. He can still go get his own shot, and he can still go get his own bucket. He's not going to be reliant on Marcus Smart setting them up. You can give it to Gallo for a couple possessions while either Tatum and Brown are on the bench or whatever. And he can do his thing, and for better or worse, you know, it's not always going to go in, but it's a better option than certainly anybody that they gave up, and I think anybody that they had in that role last year. And then you have the bench five. All right, so we talked about Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams. Now you're looking at the bench, and these lineups are going to be a little bit adjusted because I think the Celtics are looking at actually having Brogdon coming off the bench. But we'll just do their next five, right? Al Horford, Derek White, Grant Williams, Nilo Gallinari, and Peyton Pritchard. That's a really good top ten. That's a really, like, really good two kind of lineup set that the Celtics can run at you. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of shooting there. There's a lot of defense there. And for Boston, I think that's going to bode really well for them. I Like, I really, this lineup top to bottom or, you know, this, yeah, this 10-man lineup, I guess you can say, top to bottom is really, it's just really strong, man. And they can do a lot of things. I was pretty bullish that the Celtics weren't going to make the finals when the season had ended. Like, they weren't going to make it back to the finals this year. I don't know that I can say that now. Like, I really enjoyed a lot of what the Celtics did in the offseason. And I liked a lot of what the Nets did, too. The Kyrie and KD moves are certainly pending, which is going to form everybody's opinion on it. But for now, I do like the ancillary moves that they've made. And if they are really operating as if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to come back, I think the Nets have done a really good job this offseason, too. And then the Bucks, they've been more so quiet. They did re-sign Bobby Portis, and they got and they grabbed Joe Ingles, which I thought was a really good move as well. So some of these good teams in the East just grabbing, like, grabbing those depth pieces that they need. But I think Boston so far would be my winner of the offseason. Again, just with the trade for... No, with the trade for Brogdon, which was essentially a steal. They didn't give up anything to give away Malcolm Brogdon. And then grabbing Danilo Gallinari for a free agency. I thought were both just A-plus moves for Boston. And it's a team that obviously wants to win, and that is, that's of course, how they're acting. But that is that's what we have for you guys today. A little bit of a shorter show than usual, but that's what you can expect when it is just one man, and if you guys are basketball junkies like me, I'm sure you're going to enjoy some of the Summer League stuff, the Pistons Summer League. I think it starts on July 7th, so just in a couple days here. Can't wait to watch Jay Nivey and Jalen Duran play basketball a little bit in semi-Pistons jerseys. It's going to be the Summer League jerseys, but they'll probably say Pistons on them. So a little bit of a glimpse of what's to come there. But I've been Ryan Griffin. This has been Throwing Stones. Once again, before I leave you guys, I have to remind you to like, share, and subscribe all of our content, all of our videos, all of that just beautiful stuff that we put out for you guys that hopefully you enjoy. And then make sure you go follow us on Twitter at DET Sports Nation and at Stones DSN. And then and follow us on Facebook as well at Detroit Sports Nation. Thank you guys so much. I'm Ryan Griffin. This has been Throwing Stones. We will talk to you again in a short few days. And I hope you guys have a great day. Oh, 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 oh,